we're going to look at the feeding of the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000. And I've entitled my message, You Do Something. All right? You do something. What I want to do is, we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to just make some observations. And at the end of our message this morning, um, I'm hoping that we would come up with these four things I would like us to hold on to as we believe for our miracles. All right? First of all, let's look at the context. Before you look at that passage of scripture um, where Jesus performed this miracle of feeding the 5,000, um, well, at least 5,000, so it was more than 5,000 there. Um, the context is, it starts, the chapter begins uh, with Jesus taking, calling the 12 of them, sending them two by two, and he sends them with this mission. Go, go, go out, and they went to towns, they went to villages, and this is all they had to do. Go preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Go and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. And so they went out to do just that. And so they returned. Um, if you see the story as it begins, the feeding of the 5,000, it begins with them coming back from this ministry trip. Right? In verse 30 of chapter 6, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So that's the first context you see, that they were returning back from a mission trip, as it were, a ministry team, that they went out and saw wonderful miracles that happened, all right? Just the 12 of them going out two by two and doing the work of God. The second story you see before it comes to this miraculous event is the death of John the Baptist. You'll see that after that particular passage about sending them two by two, you see the story about John the Baptist's death, all right? And um, now, in Matthew, Matthew chapter six, uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, we are told that Jesus was grieved um, when he heard the story of uh, John the Baptist. It's it's a tragedy, a terrible tragic story. The way this great man of God would die. Look, he was the forerunner of the Messiah. He heard, he knew, he came, and he spoke about the Messiah. He declared the coming of the Messiah, right? Such an amazing uh, ministry, revival that came through his preaching, all right? And through his calling people back and alerting them of the, to the coming of the Messiah. How should such a man die? The story goes that he was beheaded. It's a tragic story. Imagine this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, right, who recognizes this wonderful ministry that John the Baptist had. And hearing this story, tragedy would hit his soul. I want to say this, I want to make this couple of comments about the church and where we are today. And I'm not talking about just us. I'm talking about the church in general, all right? If it's true that the mission of the church is to go out there and preach the gospel, to heal the sick and cast out demons. If that's our mission, because that's what Jesus sent the twelve to do. Go out there, preach the good news, right? Heal the sick, 
they cast out demons, right? Um, because these are the two things that we, we, we are struggling with in this broken world, right? Our physical bodies are breaking down. Everywhere you go, you hear these stories of sickness and diseases, right? That are, that are happening. Also, you hear about the demonic oppression and evil that's around the world. And so that's why Jesus' answer was, go, preach the good news, that there is a solution. The solution is Jesus Christ our Lord. And not only is there a solution about your faith and where you should hold on to your faith, but there's a solution. Heal the sick, cast out demons, right? Why isn't the church doing that today? These are my two observations. And I, I get that from the two texts in this context, right? The, the disciples came back and they were tired. Ministry fatigue after a successful mission trip. But I want to say this. Ministry fatigue can cause this to happen, where we take a rest because we're tired, right? The other thing that I notice is grief. Overwhelming grief of tragedies around us, right? Sometimes can take us to a place where we find it difficult to believe in the miraculous. Spiritual fatigue, grief, and tragedy, tragedy around us, being overwhelmed by that, can, can take us to this place where we're struggling to believe the miraculous. But I want to say this. Let's get into this story and let's pick up some of these ideas and thinking that Jesus had. In spite of fatigue, in spite of grief, he still ministered and he saw the miraculous. Right? Let me make a couple of more statements. Let's go straight to the story now. Verse 33 of Mark chapter 6. But the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. I want you to note these words. Multitudes saw them, they knew him, they came to him. My first point I wanted to, first comment I want to make is the importance of a testimony. Jesus had an impeccable testimony. They, he was a magnet to those who were lost. They drew, they came to him. They saw him, they knew him, they came to him. And I want to say, as we go out there to do what God has called us to do as a church, as a community of people, let's ensure our testimony is intact. Because this church must have a testimony. And our testimony must be like Christ. That when they see us, they will know us and they will come to us individually. Right? It's not, I, 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 put, it, I put this notes here, it's who you are, not so much what you do that causes the world to pay attention to you. It's who you are, not so much what you do that causes the world to pay attention to you. When they see you, then they'll come to know you. And when they know you, they will come to you. The second point I want to make is in verse 34. Jesus, went, when he came out, saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Let me say this. Um, look at Jesus' response. Look at his heart. He was in the midst of spiritual fatigue. 
with the disciples. He was in the midst of his own grief at that time. But look how he responds. He saw, what did he see? He saw shepherdless sheep. He was moved with compassion. Now the word compassion means more than just having a sentiment, having emotions, all right? Compassion requires action. So he was moved to compassion. And what did he do? He taught them many things. So just a little digress. John 10.10 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come just to give fish. He came to teach us how to fish. He didn't come just to give us life. He came to teach us how to live life abundantly. And that's why when he saw the shepherdless sheep, he taught them. He was teaching them how to live abundant lives. All right? He was teaching them. How do you live abundant lives? You tap into this power of God. You tap into this whole idea. Preach the gospel. And what's the gospel? That there is a resource, heavenly resource, that helps you heal the sick and cast demons. What does that got to do with it? The thief. He's come to rob. He's come to steal. He's come to, de uh, to kill. But what did Jesus come? Have eternal life. Right? So, these, with these two observations, I want to take you straight into the story now. And we begin with verse 35. In verse 35 to 36, it says this. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. That's the difference between pity and compassion. The disciples have pity. Pity says, well, I pity you. You should go and help. Go and, go and get yourself some food. And so they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, have some pity. Send them away. Let them go and look after themselves. All right? I'm not too sure how 5,000 men. So you can assume there will be about six to 8,000 people. How are they going to go out to these small villages and towns and find food? Where are the shops that will be able to cater for them? There's no pack and save. There's no countdown, right? These are small little villages. So really, their pity by sending them away was just saying, hey, it's not our problem. Send them away, right? What is, how does Jesus respond to them? You give them something to eat. That's my text this morning. You do something. Don't send them away. You do something. The, the word you, the Greek word you there, is emphatic. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Jesus is actually commanding them. You do something. Alright? He wasn't suggesting to them, well, maybe can you look around and see what's done. He said, you do something about it. Don't send them away. You do something about it. Why would you say that to them? How, how are they going to feed six to 8,000 people? How are they going to do that? Right? Well, I'll tell you why he said that to them. Where did they come from? They've just come from a mission trip. What did they experience in their mission trip? Jesus wasn't with them. They went two by two on their own without Jesus. What did they experience? They experienced the miraculous through their lives. They went around, they saw healing, 
They saw demons cast out. They saw the miracles happening every day as they were out there. And now they came back. They've gone back to their place where, well, it's not my problem. Jesus, you do something. All right? I want to say this. Prayer is not a cop-out. When we come to Jesus, all right, we're not, you know how today we outsource things. You know, outsourcing, that's the main thing now. China makes things cheaper, so we outsource. All right, go and get it made in China. We take our wood and we send it to them. They make our furniture. Right? We have some great carpenters here, but we don't do it ourselves. We send it, we outsource. And sometimes prayer sounds like outsourcing. We come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, these are our problems. There you go. We outsource it to him. But Jesus is saying, don't outsource it to me. You do something. We are partners. Prayer is a partnership. Prayer is not passing it over to Jesus. Prayer is not putting our problems only to him. It's a partnership between you and him. You can do something about it. And that's the whole thing. That, that's my premise of my text this morning. You and Jesus are a fantastic partnership. And this is, this is what he's saying to the disciples. You do something about it. You can. You have the power to do something about it. You do something about it. The second thing you notice in verse 37, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? They're looking at the crowd and they're calculating that one denarii is a day's wages. All right? So you're talking about 200 days worth of wages. Let's do some calculation. Minimum wage, 16 times eight hours a day times 200, what do you get? 25,000 New Zealand dollars. <laughs> so they calculated and said, well, what are they going to do? $25,000? $25,000 won't even feed them. That's basically what they're saying, right? Have you seen our, have you seen our wallets lately? I can't even see $25. Let's not talk about $25,000, right? So they say, Jesus, you're saying we feed them. We don't have money to do this. I want to say this, common sense, all right? Miracles don't make common sense. Miracles don't make common sense. Common sense will tell you, you can't feed 5,000 people with the money in your pocket. So miracles don't make common sense. The problem with common sense is, sense is it makes miracles impossible. Can I say that again? The problem with common sense is, it makes miracles impossible. I might be stepping on somebody's toes today, but that's okay. You will love me, you'll forgive me. <laughs> but it's a problem with miracles and common sense clash. And this is why it was clashing with them. But Jesus said, you do something about it. Common sense kicked in and said, common sense says, we can't do anything about this, all right? So keep this in mind as we now go through these four points I want to make as I bring this message to a close. Miracles is a partnership. Miracles make no common sense. Miracles is a partnership and miracles make no common sense, okay? So these are the lessons I want to leave with you as you go about next week, hearing this one sentence, you do something, all right? It starts with verse 38, right? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
So they went around and they found five loaves and two fishes. You bring what you have. You're looking for a miracle, you bring what you have. They didn't need 25,000 New Zealand dollars. They just needed five loaves and two fishes to have that miracle. Five loaves, in fact, John's Gospel says five barley loaves. Five barley loaves with the cheapest bread. You go down to the, um, the what's that little? Bakery. Bakery, uh, the, the, what do you say? Dairy, thank you. You go down to the dairy, they'll send, sell you one dollar loaf of bread, right? Because expiry date is tomorrow, or maybe today. <laughs> so you get a dollar per loaf, five dollars. Two, two dry fish, ten bucks, baby. Total ten dollars, not twenty-five thousand dollars. All it took to get that miracle was really ten dollars. Five loaves, two fishes. Are you hearing me? You bring what you have. That's the principle behind this miracle. Go see what you have and bring it to me. That's what Jesus said. Go see what you have and bring it to me. You bring what you have. Next thing he did in verse 39, he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups. Now you know my favorite sentence, you can't do Christianity alone. You do it together. You can't do your miracles alone. I tell you the days of this uh, one man shows are over. God is raising up an army to do miracles together. Let's group up. Let's believe God together. And let's believe <coughs> God together for the miracles. Right? Gather together. You can't do life alone. You do it together. Third point is in verse 41. Jesus took the bread. He looked up to heaven. And he blessed it. You know who you're depending on. You come with what you have. But you depend on Jesus. To, to fulfill the miracle with what he has. Finally, you do it repeatedly until the miracle is complete. Verse 41, it says, he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. Now, this is the key information I want to leave with you this morning. The word broke in Greek, he broke the loaves. The word broke is the imperfect tense. That means he repeatedly broke the loaf. That means he broke the loaf and he broke it again and he broke it again and he broke it again. Basically this is what happened. He had this loaf of bread. The disciples would come. He break a piece and give it to one of the disciples. The next disciple would come. He broke a piece again and he gave it. He broke a piece again. And here these disciples would go to the groups. They will break a piece and they'll give it. They will break a piece and give it. The, the, those who are in the group will take one. They will break a piece. Miracles were going on by the breaking of this bread that was going on. Five loaves being broken and rebroken and rebroken and rebroken and God was doing a miracle until everyone was fed. Do you see that? It was done repeatedly until the miracle was completed. That's the principle of a miracle. You don't just stop one day. Not stop two days. You believe and you believe and you believe. You pray and you pray and you pray. You pray together. You gather together. You believe and you believe and you believe. And you believe it until the miracle happens. So there you go. And they didn't just eat a little bit. Mark 4, 6, 42 says, They all ate and were filled. 
That means they kept on breaking the bread until everybody was full. They kept on distributing that until everybody was full. <coughs> so here's our first lesson, all right, on the miraculous. We bring what we have. We do it together. We know who we are depending on. We are committed to doing this repeatedly until the miracle is complete. In conclusion, let me read chapter 6, verse 43. They took up 12 baskets full of fragments, fragments and of the fish. Why 12 baskets? How many disciples? 12 disciples. How many needed to learn this principle? 12 of them. And so each one had a basket. This is the life lesson that he, he left with them. Every disciple has a basket full of miracles. Every one of you has a basket full of miracles. You and I, we have a basket full of miracles. This church has a basket full of miracles. And I'm saying to us all together, right, let's bring what we have. Let's do it together. Let's know who we are depending on. Let's be committed until we see these miracles come to pass. We've got a basket full of miracles, so do something with it. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.